we bring you greetings from the congregation at Caswell. And I was just thinking, you, you probably don't hear a lot. And, and sometimes it's like someone said recently um, to assure you that just because you don't hear things, that doesn't mean there aren't things happening. And uh, so uh, we, we enjoy the work there. Um, it seems like it's been, been quite active recently with uh, just different contacts of people and, and working through issues in people's lives. And, uh, and that's what we're there for. And uh, so uh, we appreciate your prayers, and we think of you often here at, at Ebenezer and pray for you. And uh, just uh, want to, uh, that the Lord would bless you as you continue in, in your uh, many activities. And, and I was thinking of your, your calendar. We have a calendar too, but it doesn't have near as much on it as yours does. Uh, but that's okay. Um, I know probably a lot of you uh, like following the um, uh, current events, and, and boy, we have a lot of current events to try to keep up with if, if you're of that mind. And, uh, and so I don't know where all you get your, your information from. Uh, I thought I would just highlight a couple of things here before we get to the message, and, and I'll try to be kind of brief this morning. I know some of you may be wanting to, uh, uh, to get out of here kind of early. Um, one of the uh, the um, things that I follow is Open Doors Ministry, and I think I had mentioned that here some months ago when I had spoke. Uh, they're the uh, ministry that follows uh, persecuted Christians around the world, and they uh, compile the uh, the world watch list of of the most persecuted countries, uh, the the top fifty persecuted countries in the world, um, and so they they usually are putting out. Uh, daily prayer requests, which you can get a little app on your phone, and and they send them to you, and, and and you can pray specifically for things that are happening. You know, it's it's easy for us to think in generalities of of what's happening in Afghanistan or Iran and some of these places, and, and just we just pray for the Christians, uh, but they can bring up specific people and what their struggles are, or or some other things. Here's one that just came in recently is entitled Fleeing Violence Targeted for Faith. Imagine you had just moments to grab what you could and then flee your home, community, or your country, possibly forever. What would you take? Where would you go? How great would your fears be about the days to come? Now imagine your only crime, quote unquote, was your faith in Jesus. Millions of Christians are counted among the world's refugees and, these, and those internally displaced in their own countries often due to religious persecution. <clears throat> their situation may be even worse because their fellow refugees reject them for their beliefs, refusing to share what meager relief is available. Those hardest hit in a refugee situation are women and children, often traveling on foot because they lack transportation, women facing the risk of attack, Children are vulnerable to violence and hunger. Many times young boys are taken and recruited into militant groups to become terrorists. Put yourself in the shoes of, the, of these believers for a moment. When you reach a designated refugee area, what would you find? Most likely, tens of thousands of others who got there before you. A lack of basic necessities like food, water, medicine, and shelter. Another community antagonistic uh, to your faith and would you be bringing your family into this situation with you 
with no idea or if you would ever be able to return home again. And so that's, uh, and they go on to explain uh, what the, the real need is and how you can pray uh, for that. Uh, it's hard for us to, to put ourselves in, into that situation because it, we, we feel so far removed from it. We, we live relatively comfortable lives. We're used to going to town and getting what we need. And, and, uh, and you know, life in America has served us quite well. Um, interestingly, you know, we, we think of these people as just being poor people. They don't have anything to begin with. Um, well, when, when Heidi and, and Carla were in, in Greece helping with that refugee camp, they ran into quite a few people who were quite well-to-do people. They were now refugees. Some of them were doctors. Uh, some of them, they had very good jobs. And now they were refugees uh, out of their country, uh, living in a refugee camp. Uh, trying to scrape together whatever they had. So um, uh, it's, it's easy to, it, it, that may help to kind of bring it uh, closer to us to understand that. Another article here that uh, this comes from Breaking Christian News. <clears throat> uh, just came in uh, just a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, um, about Afghanistan. We hear a lot about Afghanistan. We know some terrible things are happening there, but you're just not getting a lot of news. We don't really know what's happening uh, behind the scenes. And uh, this is a little more of an encouraging story I just wanted to share with you <clears throat> because of it. And by the way, they have moved Afghanistan now to number two on the world watch list. Uh, North Korea is still number one, but Afghanistan is now the second most persecuted country for Christians. Uh, the title here is, is what intrigued me. Afghanistan, despite the threat of persecution, Afghans turning to Christianity in growing numbers, creating a wave of Christian Taliban. Uh, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word Taliban, but let me read the article. The word Taliban actually means student, as Dr. Rex Rogers, president of Christian Media Ministry, and right now increasing numbers of Afghans are become, becoming Taliban of Jesus, or that is, students of Christ. And you know, that's really quite biblical because the disciples refer to Jesus as their rabbi or their teacher. And, and disciple means student as well. Uh, and so they were students of Christ, Taliban of Jesus, very similar. The ministry's Christian satellite television and online programs presented round the clock by Middle East Christians speaking the local Farsi and, and Dari languages reach every part of the nation, including remote mountain villages where people have never met a Christian in person. Young viewers are so eager to meet Jesus, they're contacting the ministry on their phone apps to ask if Jesus is in the studio. And their parents want to know where Jesus lives so we can meet him. Although Christians have been forced into hiding, Afghan children, the future of the nation, are certainly not hiding their curiosity about Jesus, Rogers said. It brings tears to my eyes when I hear these Afghan children quoting Jesus' words by heart, creating their own worship songs and using them to deal with the intense fear they're going through. One viewer in Afghanistan, sick of the terror and fear imposed by radicals, called the ministry's counseling team asking to meet Jesus in person. 
A week later, he called again, this time with 25 young men crammed into his apartment, some having to stand in the bathroom because there was no other space, all eager to know more about Jesus. The following week, there were 50 people jammed into the apartment, desperate to hear more. Satellite and social media are able to reach even the most difficult places, Rogers says. It brings the power of the gospel and the love of Jesus uncensored and live in real time to people where they are in their homes and on their phones. The ministry, broadcasting free of charge to anyone in the region, says its role is to help make Christ-like disciples in Afghanistan and other places where often isolated Christians face persecution and even death. It costs the donation-funded ministry $670 per day for airtime to beam programs into Afghanistan and surrounding countries like Iran, where people often have only an hour's electricity each day to tune in and charge their phones. And so isn't it amazing that in the midst of, of such turmoil and persecution that the gospel is being spread and, and people are turning to Christ. And, and all, you know, often that's what has, has happened when we look back in history in the, in the midst of, of severe persecutions. Uh, you think back in, um, in Paul's time, the Apostle Paul, when under that, uh, the, the tyrant Nero, and that's when Christianity just expanded and exploded all over different parts of the country at that time. And so persecution has a way of doing that. And when we hear stories like this, we can pray more specifically for these people and to know and understand what they're going through, what their struggles are. And yes, while there are a lot of Christians and other people that want to get out of the country, there are Christians who have decided that that's where they're going to stay. That's their home. Um, persecution is nothing new for them, and uh, they're willing to stick it out uh, come what may. And um, we can pray that the Lord would bless them abundantly. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Philemon. <clears throat> This is, um, well, it's Paul's uh, shortest letter um, that he wrote. And, you know, I have, um, I have looked at Philemon before, looking for things to preach about. And, and I've opened it up. I read it in such a short little thing. And just doesn't seem, it never struck me too much. And I'd, I'd lay it aside and, and go find something else. And, and uh, but recently I... Um, I decided I'd preach from Philemon. As I looked at it, studied it a little more in depth, um, there's, there's nothing just very earth-shattering that you can pull out of this, but I think there are some, some real principles here that, that maybe can encourage you. Uh, maybe you can apply in, in whatever uh, issues that you're facing in your life. And uh, maybe it'd be something that uh, can encourage you with. The um, introduction in my Bible uh, begins this way. Does Christian brotherly love really work? And in fact, that's the title that I've given this message. Does Christian brotherly love really work? Even in situations of extraordinary tension and difficulty, 
Will it work, for example, between a prominent slave owner and one of his runaway slaves? Um, and that's sort of the setting of the letter. A, um, a tried and true method to persuade someone um, to get your point across or uh, to get them to, to, to understand the things the way you see it is uh, take some tactfulness. And uh, that tactfulness can include things like building rapport with the person first, building a, a, a relationship with them um, so that they, they, they see you as a, a person. And then uh, as you get to know them more, you, you persuade their mind, persuade their thinking to think like you think. And then also you might throw in there something to kind of move their emotions, to pull at their heartstrings, if you will, uh, to help them understand. And then you finally, once you've done all that, then you make your case. You make your appeal. Well, this method is precisely what Paul used in this little short letter to Philemon. And I want us to kind of look at the structure of that uh, as we, we look at this little passage of, of how he went through that very tactfully um, to, to address an issue that, that we might say is a little ticklish. Uh, he's not quite sure where Philemon might come out on this, and so he, he wants to, to do it right. And, and I can imagine... That, that as he wrote this letter, he, he probably wrote it and edited and rewrote it and, and scrapped it and started over again, you know, until he had it just the way that he wanted it. And then he sent it. Maybe that's not the case. I don't, maybe he just, the Lord blessed him and he did it right the first time. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this letter is, is really, it's a story. It, it tells a story of this fugitive Colossian slave, um, it, it is the story of remarkable evidence of freedom of access that the prisoner, which was granted to all. Um, and it's a beautiful illustration both of the character of Paul and the transfiguring power and righteous principles of the gospel. That's not my words. That came from a, uh, uh, some commentary that I read. <clears throat> but that's really what it is. It's a beautiful little picture of what God can do in the life of someone whom he has changed and regenerated. And I think that's the greatest point that we can get out of this is, is to see the, the power of the gospel and what it can do in people's lives. And that should be the purpose of the church, of every one of us in the church. Uh, not only to have that experience in our own life, to, to have that real transforming uh, power take place, but to see that happen in everyone else and in people that we meet. And that's why we want them to come to our church because we're interested in their heart and their relationship with Jesus. Um, I'm just going to read the, uh, the passage and we'll come back and sort of look at this outline. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, 
hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And the sharing of your faith may be, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to commend you, to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing this, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own selves besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The uh, first three verses, we have uh, the uh, greetings. Uh, and Paul is addressing his letter to, obviously, Philemon, the title of the book. Um, now, Philemon was, was a friend. Uh, he was probably a dear brother to Paul. They had, obviously, a deep affection that they shared toward each other. And it's interesting that, that Paul kind of addresses this um, letter more personally. Usually, uh, Paul would, would address uh, uh, in different ways. He would say uh, himself as the apostle of Jesus Christ quite often. Uh, but here he said, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he calls Philemon a beloved friend, a fellow laborer. Um, Philemon is, is active in the church work. He's obviously leading, a, apparently, a small church work in his home. Um, maybe church buildings are probably hard to come by, and, and they were just uh, making do with what they had. And uh, they were meeting in homes. And so this is a personal Note, um, it is sort of like a one-to-one a, a -one conversation, uh, such as you might have with, with a good friend. Uh, you, can, you 
take them outside and say, Let, let's go have a talk. You know, just you and me. We're, we're good friends. And you can have a, 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 a deeper conversation with someone whom you know well, um, as opposed to someone that you just met and you know hardly anything of. And so they, have a, they, they share a deep affection for each other, and so this is a very personal note. Um, it's also written to Aphia, who is probably Philemon's wife. Another translation uses the feminine uh, form there. Uh, and Archippus, who some think is probably their son. And uh, so if that is the case, they were a family, essentially, uh, conducting church work. Uh, working together, and so Paul was addressing them because those are the ones he knew. Um, now Philemon was also a slave owner, and it's interesting, Paul, in, in all of his writings, he never mentions anything in uh, contrary to um, slave owners owning slaves. Um, it apparently was a common practice and I guess he never felt like it was a big enough issue for him to address the fact that they would own slaves and perhaps it was common enough that it was just uh, socially acceptable by all people, um, even the slaves themselves. And, uh, but nonetheless, he was a slave owner <clears throat> and, this, um, and he had this one slave that obviously had run away. Um, and this becomes the subject of the letter. The, um, well, well, I'll get to Onesimus here in a minute. The, the next verses, four to seven, then, is where Paul begins to build his rapport, uh, his warm feelings, if you will, towards Philemon. He has a, a sensitive issue that he needs to address about this slave owner. Now, I want you to remember that um, if a slave were to run away, according to Jewish law, that was punishable by death. And so this is a pretty serious thing. Um, and so now Paul has Onesimus with him. And so you can kind of see what he's, he's grappling with. So he begins to, um, to build this rapport in verses 4 to 7. And he thanks God for Philemon. He thanks God for, for all, in, or he, he, uh, and he's telling Philemon this in his letter. Um, he is thankful for their love and their faith to Jesus, for their love and their, uh, to the saints. He prays that their faith will be effective as they share it and that their church work is, will grow and be successful. He's also thankful that the saints have been refreshed by them. And so he is just pouring it on Philemon. He is just blessing their church work. And even though it may be small, he said, you've been effective. And he said, I want to thank you for that. And I am thankful to God for what you have done and you are doing in the work of the church. Now, if the bishop were to come and to tell you all of that, uh, that would make you feel pretty good, Right? It would make you feel good that, that you, you're being effective. You are doing the work of the Lord, and, and he sees it, and he's so thankful that, that you are a part of this church. And because without you, this, this church just wouldn't happen. 
And, um, and so, it, and, and, and I don't think he's saying this facetiously either. It's, it's real. Uh, Paul would not be that kind of person. So he is truly thankful for what he sees. Now we get to verse 8, 8 to 10. Paul begins to make his appeal. And, and his appeal is, is gentle. It's not harsh. Uh, he doesn't come through and say, Philemon, here's a problem. We need to deal with it. And, and you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to deal with this. You're going to have to get over whatever. He doesn't come across that way. He's very careful and he tactfully introduces the intent of his letter. He's not demanding. He's not forceful. In fact, this does not sound like the Paul that we read about back in uh, uh, Acts 15. That little episode with him and, and Barnabas where, uh, where the contention got sharp. And they, had to, they went their separate ways over that. Paul was a mover and a shaker. He, was one, he wanted to see things happen. But you see, um, time and experience has a way of, of mellowing people out. And, and Paul admits, he, he refers to himself there in uh, uh, verse, one of those verses, that, that he's the aged, uh, maybe verse 9, yes. Um, so he's, he's, uh, he's been around the block. He's seen a lot of things and and it's probably mellowed him out a little bit. And so he, we see him sort of in a different light. And, you know, as we grow older, sometimes our viewpoints change. Our perspective certainly does. Um, perhaps our demeanor changes. And we tend to be more reflective. And, and I think that's largely based on experience and things that we have, we've experienced in life. And so that's kind of what we see here in... Uh, in Paul. Now his appeal is uh, for Onesimus, uh, this uh, slave that Philemon had once owned. Or I guess he still does. He just, uh, he'd run away. Um, here's what a couple uh, commentaries said. Onesimus had apparently stolen from him and then run away, which under Roman law was punishable by death. I think I said Jewish law. It was Roman law. Uh, but Onesimus met Paul and through the, his ministry became a Christian. Verse 10. Now he was willing to return to his master and Paul writes his personal appeal to ask that he be accepted as a Christian brother. Uh, another one writes, he's a, uh, Onesimus is a slave who after robbing his master Philemon at Colossae fled to Rome where he was converted by the apostle Paul who sent him back to his master with the epistle which bears his name. In it, he beseeches Philemon to receive his slave as a faithful and beloved brother. Paul offers to pay to Philemon anything his slave has taken and to bear the wrong he had done him. He was accompanied on his return by Tychicus, the bearer of the epistle to the Colossians. And uh, you can read that in all it mentions in Colossians as well. Um, now, they all refer to him as a thief. Um, one who stole, <coughs> excuse me, uh, from his master. The only indication that we have of that is really in verse 18, where Paul said, if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Now, that's a hypothetical question. Um, and, and Adam Clark, whom I, I'll enjoy reading his commentary, uh, he, he just, he's cautious about 
putting Onesimus out there as a thief and a crook like all the others do simply based on that verse alone. We just don't have enough evidence to really put him there. Now, maybe he did, but we just don't know if he stole from Philemon. Paul is saying, if he did, I will repay. You put it on my account. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, so uh, Adam Clark says, let's not, you know, um, let's not uh, prejudge him um, based on lack of evidence. Um, next in verses, uh, uh, so that, that's the, um, yeah, verses 4 to 10 where Paul makes that appeal. He uses that word there in verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Paul was in prison um, in Rome. And apparently this is where Onesimus fled. And, and he apparently was converted by Paul. Uh, they, um, Paul was preaching. Uh, I think this was the, uh, the, the time of, of imprisonment when Paul was imprisoned in the house with, with one guard. And he was given some latitude, freedom to come and go. Um, and so he, he, he preached from his, his home uh, or where he was staying. And apparently Onesimus, um, curious about what all the, the uh, attention was, he went to hear him and subsequently was converted. And, um, and so they've built a relationship there. And Paul has learned to appreciate Onesimus, the converted slave, uh, maybe thief. In uh, verses 11 to 19, then Paul begins to persuade the mind. He, he wants to, to persuade Philemon to understand uh, the way he sees Onesimus and that he would see him in the same way. He even makes a lighthearted play on words, if you will. The name Onesimus means useful or profitable. That's, if you look it up in the Greek, that's what it, it, it means. He's a, a profitable person. And maybe Onesimus was a, a very profitable slave for Philemon at one time. And so Paul kind of plays with that. And he said, this slave who was known as useful or profitable has become unprofitable to you. But now I want him to come back and be profitable to you or useful. He said there is a, he's explaining there is a change that has taken place in Onesimus. And I want you, Philemon, to understand it and to know. To run away, as I said, was a serious deed. To steal is a serious crime. And these kinds of things can hurt relationships and they can go deep. And, and uh, Philemon may have every right to, um, to have some pretty harsh feelings toward Onesimus for what he had done to him. Maybe it cost him a lot of money. We don't know. And sometimes it takes someone else to intercede to help build the relationship back to where it should be, where God wants it to be. And in this case, it is Paul. Paul had, was the one that witnessed the change in Onesimus' life. And he believed in him. And he was ready to use him fully, without reservation, um, he wasn't worried about him running away again or stealing or any of those things. Paul had full confidence in him um, about his change. And after all, this is exactly what Barnabas had done for Paul. Uh, remember in, um, uh, when um, 
Paul had, had while well, he was still called Saul, he had he'd been converted on his way to Damascus, and he went to Damascus. From there, we understand he spent about three years in Arabia, and uh, we don't really know what all happened in there, but then he came then to Jerusalem. And when he came to Jerusalem, of course, all the believers, disciples, they're afraid of this man. You know, he was the one that persecuted the church, and it was Barnabas that stepped up and said, look, let's receive him, I can vouch for him, and, uh, and, and let's, let's take him in and receive him as a brother. And so this is the exact same thing now that Paul is doing for Onesimus in the face of Philemon. He said, receive him. Um, <clears throat> Paul said he would have liked to, well, he, he knew that how important it was to support and to commend one who was young in the faith. You know, oftentimes, and especially, I'll just add this, and we have people coming into our churches that are, that are not from Mennonite background, if you will. Uh, they, have, they have different um, backgrounds. It's easy for us to hold them at arm's length. Even though they come into the church, we like, we're still cautious, not sure if they're going to hang in there. And, you know, that can be extremely detrimental to them. Um, my wife and I have attended uh, numerous times this, a, um, a seminar at Penn Valley Retreat on that very subject of receiving people in their congregations. And often they have uh, people there. In fact, the, the, um, uh, the moderators for the weekend are usually people that came from non-Mennonite backgrounds. And they're sharing their experiences and, and, and sharing with, with us you know, what they saw as they came into the Mennonite church and, and the struggles that they went through. It's very eye-opening. Um, and, and so it, we, we need to encourage people, and that's what Paul is doing. He has full confidence in Onesimus. And so he, um, he makes his case even more persuasive. He says that they should receive Onesimus just like they received him. And they loved Paul. He was, he was the one that helped establish the church. And he said, and I'm sure they loved to see him come back again. And so he said, you receive Onesimus just like you would receive me. Uh, he's really getting persuasive with him. And he said, and if that is not enough, if he's caused you any harm, if he's caused you any cost and stolen from you or whatever, he said, I'll take care of that. That's how confident Paul was in Onesimus. He had absolute confidence in him. So then Paul moves on to the emotions, verse 20 and 21. Paul says this. Um, he says, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Refresh my heart. He said, do this for me. Uh, and, and I'm going to... Uh, uh, paraphrase a little bit. You know, I'm in prison. I don't know if I will see you again or not. He wants to. He mentions that in verse 22. He, he's got confidence. He said, you, you prepare a room because if you keep praying, he said, I'm going to come and see you. But he, he really doesn't know uh, when the end is coming. Uh, we know that about six or seven years after he wrote Philemon, he was beheaded. Uh, so I don't know if he made it back there or not. Uh, maybe somebody else does. But he said, refresh my heart because I don't know if I will see you again. 
and I'm having confidence in you. I know that, that you're not going to let me down. And I know you're going to receive this man. How could they refuse? How could Philemon refuse such a, a, a heart-pulling message that he gives to them? It's, it's so tactful. It's so meaningful. It's, it's so effective. And, you know, I don't have any doubt that Onesimus was received in full fellowship at the house church of Philemon. Uh, we don't really know. We don't, there's no second chapter written to Philemon, so we're not sure what happened, but I feel like they came through for him. And so he concludes then <clears throat> with uh, final requ requests and greetings and benediction, verse 22 to 25. <clears throat> um, he has, has confidence that he is going to, to go back to see them. But he wants them to receive Onesimus at all costs. That, that this is absolutely important. Um, he wanted them to continue to build and to grow upon the principles that he had taught them. And it was now up to them. To, to take this message and to put it into shoe leather, to make it real. You know, they have, they've heard uh, Paul before, uh, Philemon had anyway, for sure, <clears throat> and, and he knew his heart. He knew what his desire was. And, and obviously Philemon was, was desiring to carry on the work of the church, and so now he had an opportunity before him. You know, this is, this is where it is. It's a little bit like doing... Uh, outreach work. You start a church and you just kind of get everything going, the normal things that uh, you always do in church and everything's kind of going well and then all of a sudden you're faced with a situation and now this, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where mission work begins. This is where, this is where it really is and you can put aside all of the, all of the other work that you do and, and, and making church run. Now you've got to to deal with a situation. And how are you going to do it? And that's the way it was with Philemon. He was presented with, um, uh, with a situation. And Paul has laid it at his feet. How are you going to deal with it? Now is the time. You've learned and, and I've given you all of the encouragement and, and challenges here. And it's your turn to rise to the, uh, the occasion and to do the church work, the hard work, if you will. It's not always easy, and sometimes that's the hard work. I guess the question for us is, have we met those challenges in our own life, in our own church work? Um, we have those situations that come to us. And, and even on a personal level, sometimes we've interacted with people that have hurt us. They've wronged us. And those hurts can, can go deep and, and can drag out for many years sometimes. But what we should do is to look for and to strive for the marvelous grace of God that changes people's lives. That's what we really want to have happen for people that have wronged us, for people that have hurt us. What we want to see is not that they get their due reward, not that they get set in their place, 
but that they experience that relationship with Jesus we, that we know changes lives and, 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 and turns them into a different person. That's what Paul saw in Onesimus. He saw a changed person. He saw a person who wasn't just, he, he wasn't just simply a runaway slave that was sorry he got caught. But he was truly a changed person. And not only that, he wasn't just coming back to say, okay, I'm sorry, I'll be your slave. Paul says he's going to be profitable for the church. He's going to be profitable for you in a different way. And that's why he said here, receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. And that's the challenge for us. Can we receive people who've wronged us and hurt us and receive them back again as a brother, as a sister? as one who is right there with us and they've, they've experienced the change. They've experienced the, the transforming power of God in their life and now they see life differently and they're going to live it differently. And when that happens, we can forgive and we can allow that healing and restoration like Paul had for Onesimus and hearts can be refreshed just like Paul was. Paul was confident that brotherly love and forgiveness would carry the day. And it can for us. It can for you and me and personally, individually. And it can for the church. May the Lord bless you. Shall we have a song? Number 386. Number 386.
you know, some pretty uh, strong language in that song, uh, quite a challenge for us, that the brother for the brother will not hesitate to die. Are you ready to die for your brother? Do we have that kind of brotherly love? Thank you for your uh, attention and attendance here today. Is anything else, Brother David? Shall we stand for closing prayer? Lord, we are grateful to you because uh, you have um, given us such clear instruction. You have uh, blessed us with your word. And we see in this, this beautiful little short letter that Paul wrote to Philemon the importance of, of loving one another and receiving those whom have, uh, who have been forgiven by you and have been transformed by you. And uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, uh, we can do that with one another, that uh, we can be long-suffering and, uh, and forgiving and, and, um, and commending uh, to those who, who maybe falter and, and stumble in life and that we can help bring them uh, back on the right track. And, and Father, that others can do that for us and as we work together as a church family, that uh, we can continue to grow together and be effective in uh, sharing our faith with others. Father, we are so thankful for the, the opportunities that we have here in, in this area and in our country and the freedoms we have. And we do pray for those who are persecuted, uh, those Christians in Afghanistan and in Iran, Syria, India, many other countries, Father, who are facing uh, severe persecutions right now and even death uh, just because they have called on the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just pray for them that you would strengthen them and they would be faithful to you until the end. And uh, we just give you all the praise and glory. Uh, bless us as we part from here and uh, make us a blessing to the people that we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.